0: ten it's four to ten I get I get the age groups messed up a lot of times it's been seven years you'd think I'd get it by now I want to talk to you today about being drunk on the world being drunk on the world many Christians today are drunk on the world amen in fact we can all fall into that category at some point in time or another we can be drunk on the world, right? I had a dream. This message started this week with, with a dream that God gave me. God speaks to me a lot of times through dreams. Um, and he gave me this week that, that Bren and I weren't married yet, and, and uh, I was drunk on the world, and she didn't know if she wanted to marry me because instead of being a godly man, I, I would like for someone to say more than me. To, if you're going to say something about me, I would like to hear that he's a godly man. At my funeral, that's what I'd like to hear. But for my wife to not want to marry me because I was drunk on the world, that's exactly the opposite of that, right? She didn't know if she still wanted to marry me. Ephesians 5 and 18 says, I'm reading from the New King James right here on this, on this verse. It says, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. So we have excess. A lot of us are drunk on the world. Or we have excess of the world in our life, right? But be filled with the Spirit. We, be, we should be seeking to be, to be filled with the Spirit all the time filled and then refilled and then refilled and then refilled and if we're not doing that then we're probably we're probably filled with something else. Right. We're probably looking to other things to satisfy us. Amen. We're probably looking put getting other things ahead of God. We probably have our priorities out of whack. If we're not looking to be refilled and filled and refilled and refilled, right? Many Christians have excess or, or want excess of the world. Right. Hence being drunk on the world. We look to the world for our happiness. To, to money, to people, to relationships, to whatever it may be. Many of, us have, many of us may not have trouble with wine, but what about the things of the world? What about cars? What about guns? These are just my top things, right? What about football? Things you like to watch on TV? Maybe it's American Idol for you. What, whatever it may be. What about people? What about your children? Maybe you get your children in front of, in front of God. Maybe it's other relationships. Maybe you're chasing down guys or girls or whatever. Gets in, maybe it's your wife or your husband quiet right there right what else do we get in front of god think about it maybe it's your work maybe it's your job maybe maybe it's your finances your money maybe it's an addiction right and we all think of addiction as just drugs but but you know addictions can be illegal drugs they can be prescription drugs i don't know how many christians i see taking xanax amen do we really need all that stuff think about it if it's an addiction you're getting it in front of god If you're hooked on that thing, it's a problem. Amen? What about sex? Talking about addiction still. We we like, we like to not think about that one. What about pornography? Amen? Oh, here's a big one right here for us Pentecostal people. What about food? What about food? We get cheeseburgers in front of God a lot. If you don't believe me, look around us. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being drunk on the world. Anything that we get on our priority list ahead of God is a problem. It's a major problem. Anything we get above God changes us. It changes us. It changes our desires. If I start eating cheeseburgers, I want more cheeseburgers. Amen? If you start watching pornography, well, you get the picture. Amen? It changes our desires. It changes our attitude. Think about what your attitude, when when you're drunk on the world, my attitude stinks. I can be snappy, have sharp words, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? It can get ugly fast. It changes your attitude, it changes us. In the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. It's also peace. It's peace that surpasses all understanding. If you're living in total peace, how could you have a bad attitude? If you spent time in the presence of the Lord, get it. guess what you want more of? More of his presence. Yeah. Amen. We want more of his presence when we spend time with him. And if we're constantly want more of his presence, it's going to make us different. It's going to make us act different. It's going to make us walk different. It's going to make us talk different. Amen. It's going to give us praise in our life. It's going to give us peace in our life. God wants us to be faithful. He wants us to be faithful. He wants us to put him first, the top of the priority. He doesn't want us to be drunk on the the world. He wants us to be full of the spirit, full of his spirit, right? He wants us to be first on our priority list. Top of the food chain, top of the line is God, right? He wants us to be faithful not only to him but to his ways. He wants us to do things. Brother Adam was talking this morning in Sunday school class about these are the rules. When you read in in your Bible, these are the rules. This is how we live this place. This is how we play this game out. This is how we have to live. He wants us to be faithful to his ways, right? He gave me this this week to talk about. The story of Hosea and Gomer is our example. You all know the story, but let's read some of it anyway. It's Hosea 1, 2 through 9 is what I'm going to read today, and then I'm going to read a little bit in chapter 3. So it says, When the Lord began to speak to Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Hosea, (laughs) it looks like Hosea, but it's Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry. He knew this from the beginning. He knew his wife was a harlot right from the beginning. Can you imagine this? The word harlot right there, the King James uses the word whoredom. And then the whoredom the in the Hebrew means idolatry, fornication, prostitution. He knew his wife was a prostitute right from the get-go. You've heard that old saying, right? You can't, but he did. God told him to, Right? The Bible dictionary gives the word of this word, ho- whoredom. It says, idolatry, figurative, figurative, figuratively, idolatry. Yeah. So, idolatry leads to idolatry, right? You're idolizing things. You're getting things in front of God. Why did Gomer do this? She had a husband at home. If you read in the story, she was getting jewelry out of the deal. She was getting clothes. She was getting food, extravagant gifts, extravagant things. Right? idolatry, she, idolatry, she was getting things in front of God through her idolatry, right? But Hosea knew this from the very beginning. And the land, it goes on to say, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. That sounds like our land today, doesn't it? He says, you go marry a prostitute so that I can show what my love is like to you. Even though you're married to, I'm married to you and I'm faithful to you, you're going out and doing whatever. You're being drunk on the world. You're getting everything in front of me. So he went, Gomer, or, or Hosea went and took Gomer, the daughter of, of Diblim, and, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now I want you to notice how this worded here. It says that, that, that take your, take, in verse 2 it says, take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. Right? So she's going to have other men and she's going to have their children while she's with him. Picture of us, right? Think about it when we get our when we get our our priorities out of whack. So in verse 3 it says, So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblium, and she conceived and bore him a son. So she conceived and bore Hosea a son, right? When the relationship was fresh and new, she was with him. Picture of us, right? When we first come to God, we're zealous, we're on fire. My pastor used to say we're here ready to charge hell's gates with a water pistol. We'll do whatever it takes. Whenever it takes it, I'm studying, I'm reading, I'm wanting to be filled, I'm wanting to be refilled and refilled and refilled. I'm wanting to get as much God as I can. But then it goes on and say, then the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel, for in a little while, his name was named Jezreel, Their names meant something in the Old Testament. It, it, it was to fulfill a, pro- a prophecy that Isaiah had given, right? And, and if you want to read about that, fulfilling the prophecies, it's in Second Kings. I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of, of, of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. It shall come to pass in that day that I will break the, the bow of Israel in, in the valley of Jezreel. So he was saying he was going to break their army down. They weren't going to be able to, they weren't going to, be able to govern themselves anymore because another nation was going to come over, come in and, and take them over. This was the prophecy that was given, and, and this boy was named this name so the prophecy could be fulfilled that it was done in that valley, right? And then it goes on in verse 6 and says, And she conceived again and bore a daughter. Doesn't say anything about him there, does it? Doesn't say she gave him a daughter. It says she conceived and gave a da- and bore a daughter. And I believe that means that this is by another man, right? Then God said to him, How much of our fruits come from, 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 from somewhere other source than God? I think that's what the, it's showing that example there. God said to him, Call her name. Lo, ro, lo I don't know how to pronounce that name, but it means no mercy. For I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, because they weren't serving Him, they weren't living for Him. Right? He's causing prophecy to be be, be fulfilled, and no longer will He have mercy on them. But I will, but I will utterly take them away. Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah will save them by, their Lord, by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow nor by sword or battle by, ho- by horse, horse or horseman. <clears throat> and verse 8 says, now when, now when she had weaned La Rahoma, however you say that name, she conceived and bore a son. You notice it didn't say anything about him again. She conceived. So many times we're trying to do it on our own, church. We're getting everything in front of God. And, and then God said, call his name Lo-am-I. And that, and that word Lo-am-I means not my people. For you are not my people, and I will not be your God. I think that our country is in danger of him not being our God. We've turned from him. Our fruits are not from him anymore. We're living in the world. We're drunk on the world, not on the spirit. We're doing all these things. Gomer ended up a slave. If we're not careful, church, we'll wind up a slave to whatever it is that we're drunk on. Whatever it is that we're seeking. Whatever we're getting in front of God, we'll wind up a slave to that thing. That's how addiction works. That's how those things work, right? (coughs) At one point, Gomer was living with another man, enslaved to him. And Hosea was taking money over and giving it to this man so she could be fed. So there was food for her. Another example of how God's love is, even when we're living in the world, God still provides for us. He still makes sure that we get by so many times, right? He provides even in our sin. And then in Hosea 3, 1 and 2, it says, Then the Lord said to me, Hosea, Go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover. That'd be a hard thing to hear, wouldn't it? Even after she's cheated on you, she's had, she's had kids outside the marital bed. She's done all these things to you. Now she's enslaved to another man because of her, of her being drunk on other things, after her seeking after other things, you go get her back. You go win her back for you. But isn't that a picture of what we put God through? Think about it. It made me think about Jesus when I read this next part. Go again, love a woman who is loved by another lover and committing adultery Just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of pagans. We love the things of the world, church. So many times. What do you think keeps us out of church a good part of the time? We love the things of the world. We're drunk on the world. We're more more worried about what's going on on Saturday night than we are on what's on Sunday morning. Amen? Or I've just worked too hard. I can't make it on a Wednesday night. I got to tell you, I don't feel sorry for that. I don't have compassion for that. People tell me that all the time. She says, I don't. I work a split shift. I have eight kids. Cry me a river. I want more of God in my life, though. More than I need more sleep, I need more of him. Amen? It goes on in verse 2 and says, So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and a half homers of barley. He he paid the price of a common slave to get his wife back who had done all the things that she had done. I can imagine he was still, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I can imagine he's still sitting there with the kids that aren't even his kids. She cheated on him to have. Think about that. This is a picture of us and God. He's still sitting there with all of our baggage ready to take us off of, ready to deliver us from it at any time, any moment, Right? It's a picture of his faithfulness and our faithfulness, where we sit at church. We do good sometimes, but not all the time. I heard a pastor say it this way, faithfulness or your faithfulness is a measuring stick that God uses to determine how useful you are going to be in fulfilling his plan. Right? Did you get that? I'll read it to you again faithfulness or your faithfulness is a measuring stick God uses to determine how useful you are going to be in fulfilling his plan. God's got a plan for your life. God's got a plan for my life. He has a plan for each and every one of us. And our faithfulness, whether we want to be here, whether we want to put him first, whether we want to study, whether whether we want to be drunk on the world, or whether we want to be be filled with the Spirit and refilled with the Spirit and refilled with the Spirit, right? There's a direct connection there in how much God can use us. Because if we go, we come in and be saved and we go back out in the world and we do the things that we do and we want those things and we get those priorities in front of of God's priorities and and in front of God, how useful are we to God when we do that? Think about that. Even if you're not living in the world, say you just get your wife in front of, of God or your children in front of God or soccer in front of God or whatever it may be. You fill in the blank. How useful are you to him? I heard this pastor say this and I said, I'm going to check the Bible on this, because if you tell me something and you say it's biblical, I'm going to check the Word and see if you're telling me the truth or not, right? And I found a few stories. When anything, I I was looking for when anyone does anything great for God, and Abraham was the first one that came across, came to me, Abraham. Think about how faithful Abraham was. He, He was told that he was going to have a son. He was going to be the father of many nations, even though he was an old man. His wife was past her prime, right? She was beyond menopause. Beyond childbearing years, 90 years old, and still he was faithful. Amen. He messed up, right? He, he got with the handmaiden. They tried to fix it themselves, but he was still faithful. He waited upon the Lord. Amen? And God brought it to reality. God blessed him throughout his life, too. He had, so much, he had so much livestock, the land couldn't even support him. David, look at David. When he was a young man, he was faithful. He went out there and said, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who would talk like this about my God? And you all are sitting back here hiding. He was faithful. He was true to God. Amen? The Bible calls him a man after his own heart. He messed up too. He had Bathsheba. He had a son. Killed Uriah. Had him killed. Right? But the Bible still calls him a man after God's own heart. He was faithful to God. When he messed up, you know what he did? He repented. Church, if, we're, if we got something in front of God today, we need to repent. We need to look to him. Ask him to change us, right? <clears throat> he was a man after God's own heart. Look at Joseph. Brother Adam was talking to him about him in Sunday school this morning. He had every opportunity to be offended. His brothers sold him into slavery. He, he had false rape charges brought against him. He was put in prison for years. God still used him everywhere he went. He ended up being second only in command to the Pharaoh, to the king of Egypt, right? But God somehow used him because he, was, he, he didn't have power over any of these things. All he was is faithful. He was faithful, and God used him to single-handedly save the nation of Israel out of slavery. You all know the story? Amen? Or where someone has been unfaithful. Now look at Samson. I looked at Samson. Samson was a judge for 20 years, but we don't remember that part. We remember all the the mess-ups that he had, all the little hiccups he had throughout his life. Can you imagine if Samson was totally faithful, what God could have done with his life? If I was totally faithful, what could God do with my life? Much more than what he's doing, right? What about Judas? Judas? Judas could have had books written in the Bible. He could have wrote part of the New Testament. Instead, he committed suicide. Because of his unfaithfulness. Think about Jonah. God still used Jonah, but how much more could he have have accomplished if he had just been faithful to God? You know, he was always balking God. At first, he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to preach. God put him in the belly of the well. He was going to die there if he hadn't repented. I believe he would have died there. And then he repented, so God got him out, put him up on the ground. He went on to Nineveh. You all know the story? He preached. A few hundred thousand people got saved. How great would that be? And then he was mad because they got saved, because God forgave him instead of killing him. He wanted him to kill him. Imagine what he could have been if he would have just been faithful. He was already something great. I'm not taking anything away from that, but imagine if he was faithful to God and just did what God said when he said to do it. Imagine what what my life would look like if I could just get myself out of the way and do what God says to do when he says to do it. Get the world and all the other things, all my other wants and desires and all those things out of the equation and do what God says when he says. That simple. That simple. Brenda and I, I talked about it a little bit this morning, but we were fasting this week and, and we, we were praying and we were going for walks. And when we didn't know what to pray for, we'd pray in tongues. And, and it was just short, little intermittent fast and things. But, but at one point in time, I, I, I was sitting there waiting on Brenda to get ready to go outside because we are going to walk around our trails and, and we were going to pray. And I looked at these hanging baskets that are sitting on, the, on our deck, and I thought, I'm going to water those plants. And I got an orange tree out there I was going to water. And I was like, no. I couldn't even water the plants because if I get busy doing things, I'd forget about the time with God. Right. Even small things. Not, it's not a sin to water my plants. There's nothing wrong with watering the plants. I need to water the plants, but they got to get in their place. They got to get, they got to get in order. They're going to have to wait until after I have my time with Jesus. Amen? It was an amazing time. It was amazing when we were out there doing that. Spiritually, it was uplifting. My, my eyes, my spiritual eyes were opened again. Remember when you're a brand-new baby Christian? And God, sometimes, some of it's been years and years ago or decades ago, and it's hard to remember back that far. But your eyes were just kind of open, and you realized some things that you never realized before. Remember what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about, don't you, James? Some things seem elementary to you that you just couldn't understand, you couldn't comprehend before that's what it did for me. That's what God did for me. Just by doing a little short intermittent fast and going out and praying and spending time with him, my eyes were open like like a little baby Christian. Everything was better, right? When you're walking in the will of God, church, everything is better. Everything is better when you're in the will of God. On Friday, it was about 4 a.m., we went to the lake this week and did some more crappie fishing. We caught 14, by the way. Sister Shelly's not here. I'd like to tell her about it, but she loves crappie and she likes to hear about our adventures, but um, it was 4 o'clock in the morning, and Brenda was saying, come on, come on, we got to be out of here by 4.30. And I was back there writing on my tablet because God had given me stuff when I was waking up in my sleep. He, does, he gives me things a lot of times in my sleep. And if you're like me, if I don't write it down immediately when I wake up, it's gone. I won't remember it again. So a lot of times I'll tell Brenda, and she'll text it to me. This was too much, so I had to write it down. I was back there writing, and, and I was spending time with God, and the Spirit was moving on me, and, and she was saying, come on, come on, come on. She was pressuring me to go. She was pressuring me to move from where I was at. She didn't realize what was going on with me. It's not that she wanted to push me away from God. She didn't realize what I was doing. She just knew that our plan was to leave by 4.30. And I said, I want to take you fishing today, but God's first. I got to have this time with God. You're, you're just going to have to give me a few minutes. And that's what we need to do with everything in our life, church. Brenda could get in front of God for me real easy. I love her. Many of you can relate to that. But we've got to put those things off that we love sometimes and say, I, I want to do this. I want to be with you. But you're just going to have to wait a minute. You're going to have to give me my time with God first this morning. It's not, it doesn't matter if we're going to get to the water 15 or 30 minutes or an hour later, however long God wants. That's not going to matter. You know, if I don't have this time with God, you're not going to like me when we get there anyway. That's the truth. Because I could be a jerk. I, me and Brother Attic can be jerks. Some of you all may not. Katie says me too. Some of us can be, right? I don't always get this right, though. That was one time I did. I like to give you that example. I don't always get this right. Sometimes I get it messed up. I know you all want to see me and see me as a pastor and think that I'm more perfect, but, but I'm not. It's just where we're at with it, right? I don't always get this right, but we've got to have our priorities, right. We've got to be wanting to be full of the Spirit and not drunk on the world. And I'm afraid that's where we're at, church, is being, we're allowing too much of the world in our lives. Would you do this today? Don't, don't give me any answers out loud. Just think about this. Check your own priorities today. Look at yourself. Ask yourself a few questions here. What matters most to you? Ponder that for just a second. What matters most to you? Now, it's easy to say, well, God's first priority... But think about it. What matters most to you? What are you spending most of your time on? What are you seeking after the most? Don't answer out loud. Just think about that. What matters most to you? Where do you spend most of your time? It's right where you want to spend most of your time because we'll make a way to do things. And I'm not talking down to you today. I'm talking to self also. Where do you spend most of your time? When's the last time you fasted? When's the last time you fasted? And I don't just mean skip a meal. I mean all the things that come along with it because a real fast is meaningful. It's not just skipping a meal or skipping something or laying something down that you care about. That's part of it, but that's only one part of it. There's also prayer that goes along with it. There's also spending time with God that goes along with it. There's also the time that you have just in his presence that He's gonna, he'll minister to you in that time. When you fast and you pray and you get quiet and you spend time in God's presence, he will minister to you guaranteed. He will minister to you. When's the last time you've had that time? That's the question. When's the last time you got revelation from God? Are you drunk on the world? Because if it's been a while for the rest of those questions... You need to check your priorities out. There's something out of whack. There's something wrong. And I'm not here to condemn anybody. God gives me messages to give to you so that we can get it straightened out. Right? Just like with David. Just like with the rest of them. We can repent. We can repent. We can get right back in God's good graces. We can start, we can start doing the things we're supposed to do. Amen? In Psalms 51, 10 through 13, I almost asked you to play this song this morning, sis, but I didn't. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. We can ask God to touch our hearts today. We can ask God to change us today. He wants to. He sent his son to die on the cross to pay for this. He wants to change our lives. He wants to change. He doesn't want you to go out the same way you came in. Verse 11 says, cast me not away from thy presence. Lord, we want to be your people. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now, if it says, take not thy Holy Spirit from me, then it's possible that he can take the Holy Spirit away from us, right? It's possible that we, we're not his people anymore. It's possible that we're not his nation anymore. It's possible maybe that we're not even his church anymore. I'm not saying this church, but I'm talking about the church as a whole. If we're not living right, if we're not wanting to spend time in his presence, I believe he'll withdraw from us. If we want to be drunk on the world and want all the things of the world, I believe God will withdraw. He'll, he'll remove his hand away from us. That's no place to be at, church. Verse 12 says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Remember that zeal and that joy you had when you first got saved? This is a prayer. Restore to me. It's a song, actually. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. He wants us to be free today, church. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways. When we ask God to change our heart and he changes us, we teach those people outside the church. We reach out into our families, out in the highways, the byways, the schools, right? It goes on to say, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. If you'll ask God to touch your heart today, massage your heart, right? Give you a new spiritual beginning, set a fire down inside of you, however you want to put it. If we'll ask God to do this today, if we'll put the things of the world aside we'll put him as our top priority. Sinners will be converted unto him. That's what it says right here in his word, doesn't it? Could I ask you today to ask God to touch your heart? Could everyone either come to the altar, bow at your chair, bow your heads, wherever you see fit?